life and death. And I had to learn to take it that way. I had to take it that seriously. I thought if I just got a few things corrected, uh, I, I let God be the God of my alcoholism and I'd be the God of my uh, money and my wife and my kids and my house and my car. And I was perfectly content with that until of course I found that didn't work either. And I had to give it all to him. And literally, how do you give it all to God? You don't hold your hands out like your cup in water. You hold your hands up and you turn them upside down so that everything falls out. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. On this show, we strive to provide inspiration through interviews with members of the recovery community through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, a new passage, a new bit of inspiration. Your hosts are Michael L. and Lee M. We are not aligned with any 12-step program, but you will hear them mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Welcome to the show for February 18th. Jeff B. joins us. That's who you heard at the start of the program. He's got a powerful message, and he's sharing today on the concept of our paths are our own. If you need to get a copy of the Daily Reflection book, there's a link in the show notes. There's also a link to our blog where we write about recovery, all sorts of topics related to recovery. If you want to join us online, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. And of course, we're always on Twitter at Daily Reflector. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Good morning, Lee. How are you? I'm doing great this morning. How are you doing, Mike? Oh, never better. Another another beautiful day. What's going on today? So it is February 18th, and today we have my friend and home group member, Jeff B. from Frederick, Maryland, on the show with us, and I'm super excited to have him share his thoughts on our paths are our own. Oh, outstanding. Well, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. It's a, it's a pleasure. So we get started in the same way every day. We like the guests to start us off by reading the daily reflection for the day. Would you, would you help us out and get us started? Certainly. Yep. Our paths are our own. There was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. That's from Alcoholics Anonymous, page 25. My first attempt at the steps was one of obligation and necessity, which resulted in a deep feeling of discouragement in the face of all those adverbs, courageously, completely, humbly, directly, and only. I considered Bill W. fortunate to have gone through such a major, even sensational spiritual experience. I had to discover as time went on that my path was my own. After a few 24 hours in the AA fellowship, thanks especially to the sharing of members in the meetings, I understood that everyone gradually finds his or her own pace in moving through the steps. Through progressive means, I try to live according to these suggested principles. As a result of these steps, I can say today that my attitude towards life, people, and towards anything having to do with God has been transformed and improved. Thanks, Jeff. How does this resonate with you as you read it? Uh, This is almost an encapsulation of my, uh, my early experience uh, with coming to AA. I, I had thrown God out of my life because I was living a life that I understood to be uh, ungodly, uh, in complete odds at uh, the church bringing that I had as a kid. Uh, I had made choices to uh, party, to, uh, you know, I'm from a generation when premarital sex was a taboo, and I, I had discovered that it was a lot more fun than church led me to believe. So I was, I was all after the sex and the booze, and later I discovered uh, the whole rock and roll lifestyle and 
I th at 18, I threw God out of my life because he was inconvenient. And I came in here and found out that you were talking about things like higher power and good orderly direction and group of drunks. And what I really knew was that you, you wanted me to find God. And I was very reluctant. So how did that process unfold for you? After, huh, there were a couple of incidents. It, it, was, it was definitely, I got the, uh, the slow progressive uh, educational variety, not the, not the white light uh, thing that Bill got. At about three months, when I became convinced that probably I was going to need to do something, I had heard about the guy who uh, you know, chose a doorknob as his higher power, and that was okay with his sponsor and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous. It's a doorknob. So I chose a telephone pole outside the window of my, uh, my home group in Indianapolis, where I got sober. And I was, I was very happy with the telephone pole because it had the telephone wires on it and it carried the message and it made a perfect sort of sixth sense to me. And about, at about three or four months, uh, the, the old timers in the meeting came to me. It was at the uh, Southside Fellowship uh, Hall, which was an AA club in Indianapolis. And they came to me and they said, listen, Jeff, we got some bad news. They're widening the road and they're taking out your higher power, which they found hysterical. I was like traumatized. <laughs> so <laughs> I... Uh, they, they sat me down in the kitchen of the club and we started talking about how to find a higher power that was not going to turn me off because I came in here with a higher power who, um, well, I just knew he was judging me and I wasn't good enough to earn his love and I didn't know how to be good enough to earn his love. And I absolutely believed that I had to earn his love because that's what I was, that's what I thought I was hearing in church as a, as a, from child to uh, age 17, roughly, that I had to be good enough to earn God's love. And I had to, otherwise I was gonna to go to hell. I mean, that was my understanding. And uh, I didn't know that God already loved me and just wanted me to get better. I had no clue. So uh, the, the turnaround came from that sort of rustic beginning, uh, rudimentary. Uh, it, over a couple of years of sobriety without much work on the steps, I was miserable. And uh, two and a half years roughly before I started really working the steps and because I didn't want to be an AA fanatic, you know, those people are kind of strange. So I didn't want to be one of that. And uh, a couple of years later, I was one, but that's okay. Um, that's when I started finding out that I really was going to need a, a God that I could relate to. And the God thing really came to me clearly when I heard a uh, sister Lucy who was a Catholic nun in my uh, regular one of my regular meetings this this woman showed up often and she was talking about as a nun she was expected to have a real relationship with God and a real understanding of her higher power or God and she had gone to her sponsor saying the things that I've been taught I don't understand I don't believe they aren't working for me and her sponsor said well what would you like God to be. If it's not the, the God of your church, what would you like God to be? And she said, well, I'd like, I'd like God to be like loving and really want me to be happy and, and allow me to be successful in my endeavors on his behalf and, and a list of other similar things. And her sponsor said, well, that's exactly who he is then. And I literally, as I said that now, something just went, oh, you know, 
And I, I always felt that whenever I heard Sister Lucy talk about that, she, there was this moment of, it's not got to be so rigid like I was taught in church. And that's one of the most significant things in my search for um, a relationship with a higher power. You know, Clint H. out in California is dead now, but Clint, he said, uh, alcoholics are spiritual seekers. And we have been touched by God in such a way that only a spiritual solution will do. And we have accidentally replaced spiritual with spirits and chased that. And if we come in here and endeavor spiritual, as endeavor to chase spiritual, as hard as we chase spirits, we can't help but win. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Well, I love your story, Jeff. That's I'm thinking about the the slow progression that the the reflection talks about. Now you mentioned two years. Was that after you came into the program that you started to work the steps? Yeah. I waited that long before I started working the steps because I'm a half measures guy. You know, yeah. I got through, I, I recognized fairly, fairly early on that I was way smarter than I actually am. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, I must be intelligent. I get good grades in school, but I'm a slow learner. And I, I came in here and I just, uh, I got through school without studying. I, I literally, I don't know what they call it, mnemonic memory or something like that. I could look at a page and see it in my mind's eye the next day during a test. So I could, I took tests with the entire textbook in my brain. The longer I partied, the less effective that was, ironically. But I didn't have to study hard to get good grades. I, I did well in school. Stuff happened. And I, um, I just lost my way, frankly. I just mm -hmm. lost my way. And I... Half measures, though, had been set as a uh, half measures has been set as as a uh, character defect, and so I only did enough to get by. And I became terrified when I saw that half measures of eldest nothing. I was, I thought, oh my god, I'm going to have to actually do something. But I put I procrastinated it for two two and a half years almost before I saw people coming in with six months who were doing better than I was, and I was going, how in the hell is this right? You know, we're, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's what the, the daily reflection is speaking about. Our paths are our own. You know, I guess I, I've heard two different explanations or a couple of different explanations for things like character defects versus character defects versus um, shortcomings. Shortcomings. Thank you. Yeah. And that shortcomings are shortcomings are things that are actually um, kind of inborn and that character defects are choices I've made. And if uh, character defects are choices I've made, my understanding of that is that since I was little, I have found that there are times I have to put some sort of protective shield in front of myself to protect me from you. And they were immature and they were need specific. You know, it was, it was only for that incident, but I made them a generalization and became a default. And as I grew up and changed and went through alcoholism and got married, all those default things no longer worked. One of the, one of the uh, most memorable to me, I grew up on a farm in Northwest Ohio, but my dad moved us to Pittsburgh in pursuit of a better job for him. And in Pittsburgh, he put us in one of the best suburbs with the best school district. And I was a kid who uh, at age 12 had been trapping muskrats and skinning them and drying the skins and taking them and selling them to the furrier so that I could make Christmas money, that kind of a thing. And I came to a school where the kids who were 
12, 14, 16, we're talking about what color vet their dad was going to get them for Christmas or their birthday. And I had nothing, I had nothing in relation with these people. And I was an outsider all the way. And I had no friends. And by the time I was in seventh, eighth grade, I was miserable. Um, literally kicked out the walls in my room and my bedroom and just anger and misery. But there was one guy, Mark, and Mark would walk with me to school. And one day after walking, walking to school with Mark, a bunch of the really cool guys came by and the coolest of them all, as they blew past us, said, Mark, why the hell are you walking with this cake eater, this loser? And Mark looked at me and he looked at them and he walked over and he joined them. And my heart shut down. Uh, I, I, I literally walked the rest of the way to school saying, I will never give a shit about anybody ever again. That's a character defect. That's a default position that became a character defect. I did not give a shit. Unfortunately, I married and had children. And although the, some of that position softened, I really just, that was, that was where I was starting from. And with, you know, the kids and, and the wife and things like that, that could improve a little bit, but it always was at a very low base level. You know, that's, that's the kind of thing that I think about for character defects. Has the program of Alcoholics Anonymous improved your relationships? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I have a host of friends. I have more friends than I can count. I have friends in Pennsylvania, where I was for the first. I got sober in Indianapolis, but uh, moved in the first year to Pennsylvania. Didn't ask my sponsor, just moved. But I wound up in Pennsylvania for 27 years and then moved here uh, for the last 10. So, um I have friends in Pennsylvania that actually Lee has met um, some of Janet that we were talking about is a friend of mine of 29 years from up in Pennsylvania. And she's a home group member on my Monday night meeting. And uh, Janet's uh, Janet and Lee have met. And I might may I may have more friends here in Frederick than I've ever had in my life. I just have countless friends. And that's because I give a crap about them. I mean, that's not to pat me on the back. That's just the, the change that's been brought about by God entering my, you know, he entered my heart through my head and he softened, he entered my head and he softened my heart. That's what I'm honored to say. I have experienced uh, the receiving end of, of the kind of friendship that you offer. And it's, uh, it's, it's nice to feel cared about and you do make people feel cared about. And it's, it's the character defect thing. Like I think over the years of, you know, working and working through my own um, childhood stuff, I've kind of come to the conclusion that it's adaptation that I no longer need. Right. You know, stuff that kept us alive and sane and <laughs> together for a long time no longer yeah. serves us when we're adults because we're not little kids about to get left or beaten up or whatever. Yeah, so, I, I agree. Cool. Adaptation, you know, shields I've put on, our, on on myself. It's the same thing. It's, it's something yeah. that I did to protect me from you. How did, how did the steps help you work through that specifically? It's, it's taken a long time. My personality was probably not uh, real, uh, wasn't real positive uh, for quite a few years after I came in. Well, you, you know, I figure you delay that long before you start working the steps, then, then your, your growth is delayed. My wife and I had been married eight years when I hit AA, but uh, 12 years after I'd gotten sober, we divorced. And it was a direct result of damage done in the eight years when I was drinking and, uh, and also the, the poor quality of changes that I made. She had no faith in AA that uh, was going to do anything good for, for her. 
because I did things like run off on weekend fishing trips with AA guys and say, well, you know, I'm running with sober people. You don't have to worry. And her, her retort was always, yeah, but once again, you're leaving me alone with the kids for the weekend. You know, doesn't matter if you're drunk or not. You're not here being a father. You're not a, a partner. You're just having fun. And, and she was right. I didn't like being told that, but uh, she was right. As a matter of fact, the first sponsor that I got that really made me work, I'd had other sponsors, but this guy made me work. And I was at that meeting, the first meeting that I ever went to at this, uh, this place in um, Grove City, Pennsylvania, that uh, was a little suburb called Hallville, but the meeting was known as the Hellville meeting because they told you the truth whether you liked it or not. And uh, I'm sitting there justifying one of these weekend fishing trips with two buddies in the room and a crusty old bastard sitting across the, uh, across the room before the meeting looks over and says, you sure are spending a lot of time on something you say doesn't bother you. And I was like, oh, my God, I couldn't believe it was so rude. I was so angry, I almost left. But I stayed through the meeting, and two weeks later, I asked him to be my sponsor because I had stewed on what he said for two weeks, and I knew that I needed what he was able to dish out, which was the truth about my condition. You know, And it was through him that I started working the steps. And it was – I got – this is out of this is out of uh, fashion now, but I got sober with step Nazis and big book thumpers, and uh, you know that's not politically correct, but that's that's what these guys were, man. They told you the truth. So, how did that impact the way you work with newcomers? How do you represent the steps and and help people get into this program? Oh, I'm much too easy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm much too easy. I, I try and go sentence by sentence through the big book with them, which is probably. You know, some of them are sober and some of them are not. I always feel bad for the ones that are not. Some of those guys are dead. Um, some of them have been chronic relapsers. Um, and, and I don't like to take that personally. The first guy I ever tried to help way back when got drunk after about six months and I felt terrible. And I still feel terrible when a new guy or when a guy I'm working with gets drunk, but I'm not in charge of getting him sober and I'm not in charge of getting him drunk in the first place. You know, it's... Um, you know, those are, those are our choices. And thank God we get what we choose, not what we deserve when we get here. You know? Amen. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what do you tell the newcomer? We've got, we've got folks listening that might be dipping their toe in the water. Maybe they're not sure if they've got this thing. What do you tell them? Well, the first thing I ask is, are you willing to go to any lengths? And if you're willing to go to any lengths, are you willing to call me? Are you willing to work the steps to the best of your ability at this time? You know, I, I, and then are you willing to get into service and help another? These are the things that are critical. They, not just to that person, but to AA as a whole, because without a service structure that continues, we falter. So encouraging our guys to get, to get busy. And then, you know, we start with the first step, right? <laughs> Usually it's like, do you think you're an alcoholic? And if they hem and haw, I said, well, Maybe not. How's, how's your life doing? You know, I lost my job. My wife threw me out. Like those are not hallmarks of a successful life, dude. Okay. You know, I got, I got my third DUI. Yeah. That doesn't happen to normal people. 90% of the world is not having that. 90% of the world is not having that. Then we, you know, the normals might get one and they said, well, I'm not going to do that anymore, but not me. (laughs) I drove drunk everywhere I went for, you know, 18 years. Are, is your life unmanageable? Are you powerless over alcohol? Okay, cool. Do you think you can 
change this by yourself? And hopefully they say, no, man, I've been trying for, you know, five years and, you know, I just keep picking up a drink again. I promise myself I'm not going to, I promise my wife, I promise the church, I promise for Lent, you know, <laughs> you know, I promise for Lent too. I gave up Jack Daniels for Lent. I gave up drinking for Lent and three days into Lent, I'm drinking. My wife says, what, why are you doing that? I said, well, I gave up Jack Daniels. I didn't give up beer, you know, uh, rationalization, you know, so we got to get past that. Let's dig down. Are you, are you powerless? And are you willing to turn that over to somebody else? Because so far your life has been in the hands of an idiot. I, that's what they told me, you know, and I believe it. Trusted your life to the hands of an idiot. And uh, would you rather find somebody better to pilot this thing? And do you believe that, do you believe that you can? You know, can you turn your life well in your life over? Came to believe and then became willing. And are you willing? And when we, after we go through those initial, you know, I, I come from an area that calls that the, uh, the AA three-step. One, two, three, four is out the door. And so we try and get into the four-step fairly soon. And, the, you know, the truth is these guys know the whole story except for the blackout parts, but they've been told that too. You know, we know our whole story. I know my whole story. I know when I got drunk and I know when I had my last one and I know what the first one was and I know what the last one was. I can't tell you the same thing about pizza. I started with Boone's Farm Apple Wine, top shelf. Uh, I think it was 79 cents a quart back then. We were at a campfire in Lake Erie and there was a bunch of us sitting around the campfire and they passed around a bottle of Boone's Farm and I had my first, that was my first unlimited access to alcohol. And I took a big slug and passed it on to the next person. And it came around again. I took another big slug, passed it on to the ne next person. And then I got up and moved over and sat about halfway around the fire pit and got it again. And we went through three bottles that night. And I'm not sure, but I may have had at least one of them to myself. And that night I had my first blackout, well, my first drunk, my first blackout, my first hospitalization, and my first necessity to lie about how and what had happened. My first, and that was the whole story of my drinking career. So we're in the middle of a pandemic right now. We've been going to meetings on Zoom now. I, I guess there are still some meetings that are happening in person, but mm -hmm. um, what do you think about that as far as the ability for the newcomer to, to connect and plug in and get into action? I think it's really hard. Now there are, I know some people have gotten sober on Zoom. Anybody that's coming in here with hope of being with live people and faced with Zoom, I have had a real struggle. I'm, I happen to be on the uh, answering service call list for uh, Frederick in, um, Intergroup. And I've had maybe a, maybe 10 calls uh, that I've taken, quite a few of them from one guy. It's always the same story with him. He, I can't stand Zoom meetings. I got to find li live meetings. And then, of course, he calls drunk the next day. But the, the struggle for connecting, certainly the message is the same, but the connection is different. And I worry for the newcomers and, and even the, the people who had arrived a short time before um, live meetings got uh, curtailed. The fellowship means an awful lot, you know, just to have a group of friends who understand because we speak, we think and speak about things differently than uh, normal people do. And we act, we react differently. I took a, an old girlfriend of mine to an open meeting one time quite a few years ago and um, she knew I was an Alcoholics Anonymous and she was all for it and all that kind of stuff. And we sat down in this meeting with about 75 people for a breakfast meeting on a Sunday morning. And she was horrified. Literally, we left there and she said, you are not like those people. And I said, I'm exactly like those people. I've just been sober long enough that I've started to 
get a little better. You heard an awful lot of people who were more like me when I got here than you care to probably know. The, it, the fellowship kept me coming when I wasn't working the steps. I had made friends who understood me. And that kept me coming, even though I wasn't doing the work, which I don't recommend. But still, you know, I made it. Thank God. Thank God. Well, Jeff, this has been a great conversation. I want to thank you for, for spending some time with us. Anything else to, to tell the audience before we, we wrap up? It's life and death. And, and I, I had to learn to take it that way. I had to take it that seriously. I thought if I just got a few things corrected, uh, I, I let God be the God of my alcoholism and I'd be the God of my uh, money and my wife and my kids and my house and my car. And I was perfectly content with that until, of course, I found that didn't work either. And I had to give it all to him. And literally, when I'm talking to my guys about how do you give it all to God, you don't hold your hands out like you're cupping water. You hold your hands up and you turn them upside down so that everything falls out. Because when I give it to God, it's got to all be given to God. It has to all be gone. I can't. He can. I think I'll let him. That's it. Thanks so much for joining us today. Great message. Great story. Fantastic. Love, love being of service. Yeah. Really good. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Lee. Thanks so much to Jeff. And thanks to you for listening. If you want to join us online, you can find us at facebook.com slash group slash daily reflection podcast. You can find us on Twitter at daily reflector. 